Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast. As we get closer and closer to the NFL Draft, Christmas and April. But before we get to the draft, we are going to be joined today by two men who directly impact the NFC East. One is the president of the Washington Commanders, Jason Wright, who presides over the team that was just sold for a record sum, $6.05 billion as Jason Wright sat in his presidency and watched this process unfold around his football team. He will detail what that has been like. And then we'll be joined by the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, as he looks ahead to the upcoming 2023 season. And it's fitting today that we're joined by Jason Wright because maybe the two most maligned franchises in all of football, both were in the headlines this past week. One is the Washington Commanders. The other is the Arizona Cardinals. Has any team had a worse offseason than the Arizona Cardinals, who essentially have their quarterback, Kyler Murray, rehabbing from a torn ACL, who had their defensive end, J.J. Watt, retire, who are going to be trading or releasing their Pro Bowl wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, because teams are apprehensive to meet his contractual demands and whatever compensation the Cardinals would get back. They lost free agents Zach Allen and Byron Murphy in free agency. They have Zach Ertz, their tight end, rehabbing a torn ACL. And then on Friday night, their team leader, arguably the best player on their team, Pro Bowl safety Buda Baker, announces that he wants to be traded, which is a trade, by the way, that he requested to be made in February. February, before there was a former employee in their front office, Terry McDonough, who came out and accused the Cardinals owner, Michael Bidwell, of bullying his employees and providing a hostile workplace environment and an arbitration claim to the National Football League. Wow, what an offseason for the Arizona Cardinals. And it's not over yet with all these things going on and with some of these players wanting out. And we'll see how they handle the situation as the draft gets closer and closer here next week. The only team that may have had a worse offseason than the Arizona Cardinals is the Washington Commanders. And they're a franchise that was essentially sold last week in a tentative agreement to the owner of the 76ers and the New Jersey Devils, Josh Harris, for a record sum of $6.05 billion. Now, this is a franchise that has been criticized, investigated, maligned, just awful. It's been a tough few years for the Washington Commanders. Can we imagine what it would be like for the president of the team, Jason Wright, to sit in the position that he does to watch some of these events unfold, to have him try to change the culture in the way that he did while all these other claims and criticisms are swirling around his team. Jason Wright's a former NFL running back. He played seven years in the NFL with four different teams, graduated from the University of Chicago Business School, and in 2020 was named the team president of the Washington Commanders, making him the first black team president in the history of the NFL and the youngest team president in the NFL, a title he still holds today. He's had an up-close seat to the sale of this franchise, and he sat down to talk about it. Hello, Jason. Hey, Adam. How are you? How are you doing? Nice to be with you. Thank you very much for your time in advance. Of course. Are we in a hotel, are we, are we in a hotel room somewhere? We are. I'm at a World Congress of Sports in L.A. 
Nice. Well, I appreciate you taking some time out of the World Congress of yeah. Sports in LA. How's that event? It's good. It's good. It's um it's put on by SBJ and CAA. It's a it's a good event. It's a good event. It's a it's a great opportunity to get with colleagues and do some information sharing about what folks are doing. Yep. So across sports, it's good. And you know, and of course you get, you know, everybody's gonna pitch the shit out of us on uh, <laughs> work with the team. So you endure that as well, but everybody's good and well meaning and good spirits. And you're there and you're the president of the commanders, and the commanders are in the news. So what <laughs> is it like for you to be at a function like this where I'm sure everybody, like me, has questions? Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely feel a little bit like the bell of the ball. Um, but uh it's 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 a really good thing because I think people recognize that we're at a real important inflection point in the business. And those who have been close to us over the last um, um, over the last two years recognize the foundational change that's happened in the organization that's ready to absorb the benefits of this sea change, this sea change that's coming. So it's been a good set of conversations and I'm always in learning mode. I'm always inquisitive and um, there's great ways for us to accelerate in this new era. So when you're there, what is the most oft-asked question to you from people in this world? I mean, people are like, is this real? <laughs> that is probably the biggest thing. Uh, and uh, and the and the answer to that is, you know, yes, this, this is a real process of uh, a transition of the team. I am arm's length from it, as I should be. It's running through the family office. And that's yep. the proper way to do this. This was an investment by the family office. It should remain an investment by the family office, even as it's um, divested, you know. Um, so I'm arm's length from it, as is the rest of the organization. And that's proper. Um, but at, at the same time, like, yes, I know I'm close enough to know it's it's a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. And and there's more complexity in it uh, driven by media narrative than there is in the actual process itself. Oh, really? Why do you say that? Because you know everybody wants to talk about it, Adam, and um, and when you're when you're speculating with um, little pieces of information in a process that is typically confidential and every little fact is run down in due diligence, it can add to the process when people report misinformation. So um, we're we're still getting there. The process is still moving, but you know it'd be better if we could be a little quiet and let this thing play out. But there's no way in this world things quiet. And Naivete. Naivete. so many people are so curious about it. And even I, I don't know why, was a little surprised at how much life the story took on. Yeah. And it be it was giant. Like you knew it was gonna be a big deal, but I think it was just a little bit bigger than I expected. Is oh, yeah. Saying. Yeah, and I, I I guess that's the one place I I, I wasn't surprised in this. Um um uh, I think I was surprised in what little bits and pieces of rumor and hearsay would be reported on by the media. But the fact that people were as engaged in making as big a deal of it, I'm not surprised because this is one of the iconic franchises in all of sports. Right. And it has it has been in many ways in a decline for some period in the last few years. We've been setting the foundation to create a resurgence. Right. And and the the momentum is already starting to happen in the business. All the prospective bidders have seen that because they've been in the actual financials. Um, and uh, but more more broadly, you know, this is an iconic franchise that um, the colors of burgundy and gold are recognized across the globe. Um, so it makes sense that there would be time and attention spent on it. Also, um, it's 
going to be the largest sports transaction in the history of the world, um, at least for the time being. And and so that's going to garner um, the attention that that we're seeing. So in that in that's in that sense, the historicity of the team, the historic nature of the team, plus the um, the scale and scope of this transaction within the industry makes sense to me. And and you don't say this. I will. I think people's feelings about Dan also infiltrated the process and led to the story being as big as it was. Of course, of course. I think that's a, a maybe a secondary factor because you would argue, you know, you, the biggest transaction in, in sports history, you're going to be on that no matter what. But yeah, certainly um, it gets a lot more, gets a lot more going. What about the fact you said real process, right? Mm-hmm. Did people think that this is not real, Jason? I've heard so many different things over the course of time. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I've heard lots of things, but it's not, it, they don't even bear um, repeating. Um, but, you know, this has been, a, again, a, very structured process run through the family office that um, has progressed uh, according to the pace that all the others have progressed. What is it like to have this sale go on of this iconic franchise at a record price involving Mm -hmm. Dan Snyder when you are the president of this franchise and the youngest team president in the NFL today? What is it like from your position to be where you are to watch all this unfold. And I know you said it's an arm's length, but you're still in a very high position for this iconic franchise. Yeah, and still, and still involved where they need me, right? So I think I've had three jobs in it. The first is to be um, a support to Dan and Tanya and the process, um, much like any president it is at any time um, with any big business venture that's happening in a sports franchise or a collection of properties. And in this case, the major priority for ownership was uh, examining the sale of a team. And so wherever my, me or my team were needed to provide information in response to due diligence, to do management presentations, the the like, we absolutely bent over backwards to do those things. And, that's, and that will continue to be a priority. I am their primary advisor as they're doing this from the team side, right? So that's number one. Uh, but number two is probably the more important one. Um, and that is, uh, as the leader of this workforce, that's, uh, in the last two years, 80% new, you know, is very, very literally not the organization that it used to be here. You know, 80% of the people, greater than 80% of the people are new since we joined, um, because we needed a different set of capabilities and mindsets here to drive forward the business into a new era and different values, frankly, and way of running the business. Um, and so with that, it's my job to steer that workforce to continuing to preserve the, the business momentum that's been in place, which is part of the reason these bidders and investors are interested in the team. There has been a reversal of fortunes in the PL over the last two years, and we have to be focused to maintain. This is where uh, I don't often feel like I'm actively pulling on my experience as a former player, but in this case I am, because it's the power of hyper-focus that is needed for us as a business right now. As an NFL player, you learn how to tune out the noise, very literally the noise in the stadium, figuratively the noise of the media around you in order to focus on your task. And it is a game of inches, as you know very well, Adam. Like if I step two inches too far to the right on my inside zone steps, I'm going to be not at the right angle and I might miss the cutback. You have to be hyper-focused on the details. And that's exactly where what, what I'm leading us to do as a business right now. You know, we've grown the season ticket member base substantially over the last two years. We were number three in overall attendance growth last year. We were up 
14% year over year in sponsorship, despite a negative headline every week. So that momentum has to be preserved. And we have to button up any places where we're still weak as in business processes, because we're about to absorb the momentum of a sea change in how people see the business and see investing in us. Um, and we we have to be buttoned up in that. And so we don't have time to be reading all the articles. We don't have time to be <laughs> on this or that. Although I know my workforce does it, my job is to get them refocused on the task at hand, which is doing right by a fan base that deserves the resurgence that's about to hit. And the third thing, their third role in this process, because you said there were three, supporting Dan and Tanya, leading the workforce. And the third is? And the third is um, being a listening ear to um, my colleagues, because while I'm pushing them to be focused, um, everybody's human. And they're going to have questions about their future in the organization, the stability of the organization, the business strategies we've developed, um, and where there aren't clear answers on all that. Most of that, there are clear answers. Um, but where there aren't, um, it's to be able to listen and be an empathetic ear, which is the type of leadership we demonstrate. You know, Ron and I developed a set of core values across the organization. They spell fight, fight for old DC, but family impact, growth, honor, trust. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the value of family is one where we are the leaders we bring in and the leaders we reward and promote on both sides of the building are those that are empathetic leaders who can lend a listening ear, who treat people as human beings. And um, and that's a big part of what we need to do right now. You talk about listening to your colleagues. What is their biggest concern that they've expressed to you? You know, I, I, they're actually in a good spot. You know, when I talk to our workforce, probably the biggest concern is like, hey, are we do we have all of our resourcing and infrastructure right to go hit the pavement sprinting on the other side of this transaction um, to really see the growth in the business that we expect to see on the other side? And so I, I think we've done a good job of getting them focused on the task, because I think most of the conversations I'm having with colleagues of what's keeping them up at night is like, are we ready to sprint? Because the the pace of the treadmill is about to increase. And um, so in most cases, that's that's it. Um, And then the other one is, how do we continue as a business to properly resource and equip the football side to win? Okay. Um, Because while an ownership change is going to have some momentum build to the business and uh, some of the business processes we put in place, the, uh, the renovations and upgrades we've done at FedEx Field over the last two years will finally get their benefit. I think they'll actually get their credit. Um, That will happen under new ownership. But ultimately, what's going to fully retrench us back in the top echelon of NFL teams and all sports franchises is winning. You know, that's that's what created the lore of this team before. It was five world championships, uh, the last of which was in 91. And so um, what we have to do is win. And our, I've, I've made it a value of our business folks that we are always focused on how we equip the football side how we provide good service to them on the processes where we need to serve them on mundane shit like payroll and IT and all the stuff that to you guys is not important at all, but is important to the operations of a high functioning football program. So making sure we're delivering in that way and then finding ways to invest in new capabilities and technologies that enable our players to be more healthy and more effective on the field, to give Ron the right resources and structure and decision-making um processes that he needs to build the roster in the way that he wants. So um, 
we got to be focused on football. So from your vantage point, how close is this team to winning at the level that yes. you would like to see it and to where Washington once was accustomed to yeah. seeing? Yeah, I know Ron and them will um, will virtually beat me over the head for this, but I'm very confident. You know, I know they'd like to they don't like to talk about it. They like to do it, you know, um, but I'll talk a little bit about it on their behalf. Um, they have had a roster building strategy that they have that they have stuck to. And um, and I won't go into it because we're close to the draft and their secret sauce needs to be their secret sauce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I I. There are a few things where when I go to the football side, whenever I'm pulled in to have a discussion with them, where the top five people on the football side are all unanimous about something. And that's a good thing. You want diversity of thought and opinion and debate. But as far as the condition of the roster and the talent in the building at all positions, including those that people were talking the most about in the public, they feel very confident about where we're at, especially post-draft with their plan for the draft. Um, and I think if you look at the last few years, um, we've been quite close. Um, and while the narrative about the team might not be as um, it might not up and coming, might not be not might roll off the tongue for us in the same way that it does for, say, the Detroit Lions. But we had a better record than them last year. <laughs> so there's a little bit of this that's in narrative wow. and the way that the team is thought of. Like we are eight, we were eight, eight and one last year and are a, a couple of games away, a couple of very frustrating games away. Um, from being in the playoffs and um, and seeing the momentum both in fandom and towards building towards a championship. And so I think we're much closer than folks realize. And part of it has been the clouded narrative around the team. And it's going to be great for Ron and them to operate in a year without that. So that cloud, you would say, has had an impact on the team, on the football I would never I would never make that because uh, it, it always comes off like an excuse. Right. I would never say that. And Ron would never say that either. Mm -hmm. um, um, I just I am looking forward to a moment where um, the guys can get the credit for what they have yeah. done on the field. And look, we know we're three years in and five games under 500 in three years. So, like, it's not like it's uh, rainbows and unicorns around. Well, well, so much of the talk, so much of the talk the last few years has been about investigations and fines and suspensions and the sale of the franchise right i mean just that's been out there yeah exactly exactly and uh and i think now the spotlight will pivot to football and we think the roster is in a good spot we we're very close last year to being in the playoffs and seeing what our young team or with a uh, great caliber individuals from a character standpoint can do in that environment um and i expect us to be right there again this year and I hadn't thought of it, the fact that you had a better record than the Lions. And people talk right. about the Lions like they're this uh, – and nobody nobody does talk about your team in that regard. Correct. Exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit unusual. What has your interaction been like with Josh Harris throughout this process, if you've even had any? Yeah, I'm arm's length from everything, um, and it would be overstepping to talk about who I've engaged with during the process. Ah, uh, not okay. something Not something I'm allowed to do. Um uh, but I can tell you all the different potential ownership groups that I engaged with. Um, I'm excited about what they would bring. All have different strengths. Um, and uh, in particular, all are really sharp business minds. And, and that's what you and that's what you look for in a new ownership group. Jason, I want to go back to one thing you said about your three most important jobs during this transitional process. The first one you mentioned was supporting Dan and Tanya during this. 
Mm-hmm. What has been their mindset and what has it been like to deal with them during this process of the sale of the franchise? It's better to let them speak to that if they if they ever choose to. But, um, you know, we from your perspective. Yeah. From my perspective, we we're working collaboratively as we always have. And um, they are responsive and um, uh, very direct in their asks, like nothing, nothing different than how we've worked together over the last period of time as we've gotten to a good working model. I do want to ask you what you think Eric Bieniemy brings to this team as the new offensive coordinator. I'd like to throw some of these football questions at you if you're comfortable. Yeah, that's fine with me. I played once once or twice. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I, I don't mind. Seven years in the league with four yeah. different teams, right? Yeah, I don't mind them. I don't mind them at all. I'm very excited about what EB brings to the team. Um, I think for Ron, it marks an important moment where he's bringing in thinking and talent that is outside of his traditional circle which is part of our values. Um, The value of growth and family impact growth on our trust is about having the best minds in the building, productive debate, innovative thought. Um, And I think in bringing in EB, you bring in somebody that is going to bring a new way of working into the building. And while he's a brilliant offensive mind, um, he, he was an excellent interview, by the way, just for the record. He's a good man. He's a good man. Because I know there's, there, I know there's that talk out there. Um, he's an excellent interview. Right. There are people who said he hasn't interviewed well. Incredibly, incredibly impressive. Incredibly impressive around uh, across the board from his intellect to his football knowledge um, to his experiences as a leader, just for the record. Um, but I, I'm excited for all that he's going to bring in that vein. But I'm most excited for what he's going to bring to the culture. Uh, Ron is trying to instill a culture of accountability. And um, if there's one thing that you hear about from players who have played under EB, it's that you are in- infinitely prepared when you walk onto that field. If you're not, you hear about it. You practice with great pace and intensity. You practice as though it's a game because you want to get a- accustomed to playing how you need to be. And uh, I think that intensity is going to be excellent for us as a program. Um, because if you believe in the roster, which we do, I believe we've been close in performance. It's attention to detail. It's accountability. It's the mental aspects of the game that spell the difference. And those are EB's hallmarks as a leader. And I'm, I couldn't be more excited that Ron brought him in and that we were able to um, uh, show him that this was uh, a place that is uh, ready to do something big. Was it challenging to try to sell the organization in lieu of the cloud hanging over it? to a guy who is leaving a place that is won as regularly as Kansas City has in the past. Yeah, I think it's challenging if you're recruiting people that are afraid of a challenge. And, um, you know, the folks that we've recruited here, both on the business and football side, are those who, um, when they see challenge or complexity or messiness, they are able to hone in and see the impact that's on the other side of it. They're able to see the opportunity in the middle of it. And there is great opportunity when things are a little bit up in the air. Um, And uh, I think EB is a very rational thinker (laughs) and he was able to see um, what's possible um, versus the the more distracting narratives. And um, yeah, we're excited. One other football storyline that I would like to ask you about, you could address it how you'd like to. Your organization has been very steadfast in not pursuing or being interested in Lamar Jackson as a free agent. And I'm just curious from your standpoint as to why the team would be against the idea of exploring a deal with somebody 
of his talents. Look, I'm I'm only peripherally involved with football. Let's let's caveat there. Yep. And I think Lamar is an amazing talent. Right? <laughs> He's an amazing talent. And I think nobody in their right mind does not examine it or explore it in some way, shape, or form because the man is a dynamic a generational talent. And I also, as a former player, and I haven't lost my NFL PA mindset to this degree, I'll never fault a player for trying to get their bag, right? Because um, uh, it, it it is it's great for um, anybody in any industry to, to try to hold out for your worth, right? I'll never knock anybody for that. Um, that said, I'll give a very bland answer to this, and that's that our guys have a strategy. They are bought in and committed to that strategy. If that in, if that strategy included that sort of move at the quarterback position, they would do it. Um, but you got to adhere to your strategy, um, even when there are enticing other decisions that you could make. And so I have full trust in Ron and them that they're leading us in the right direction. And if that means we don't get Lamar, at, that's the right thing to do because I'll, I'll trust their process. And that process would include Jacoby Brissett and Sam Howell. So I'd just be curious to know your thoughts as a former player, as a president, as somebody who follows the sport as closely as you do on your two current yeah. quarterbacks. I rock with Ron and them. I'm going to be real casual with it. <laughs> I rock with them on this, right? And, um, you know, yes, I played. Yes, I have a degree of knowledge. Maybe other team presidents don't because of how long I played, yeah. right? Um, that said... Uh, I'm not I'm not the one who spent the last decade deep in analytics and developing my own capabilities um, for evaluating talent. Right. And neither have any of us here on this conversation, although you you spend a lot of time in it. So you might have a little bit more credibility. But, um, you know, it's you got to know your lane. <laughs> you got to know your lane. And so my surface level opinion is nothing compared to the research and the diligence that our folks would do and the adherence to their plan. And I'm a rock with them. And my last thing would be when this conclusion comes to an end, whenever it is from your arm's length perspective, what will you imagine that to feel like for you and all the people that you work with? Yeah, I think it's, we're going to feel a momentum. We're going to feel, um, we're going to feel tailwinds probably for the first time um, since being at the organization. Um, and our team deserves that. You know, it is hard to change culture. It's hard to transform an organization. And it's hard to move as many people out and bring as many people in as we did. Like, I would have never, as a consultant, when I was a consultant, I would have never recommended 80% turnover in less than two years. Never. But if anything, I would go back and I would do it faster. Because you have to have the right people in the building that share values, ways of thinking, um, and have a level of... Um, uh, competence and high expectations that we've uh, that we've brought into the building, and those folks who have done the hard work of resetting the way we work and bringing in new people and all the challenges that come with that, um, they deserve to feel momentum at their backs instead of um, so many challenges and um, uh, and uh, uh, hindrances when they're trying to build the business and uh, I'm excited for them. Well, what about the idea though, that new owners will come in and want to do some things your way where you've changed 80% of the workforce in two years. Maybe they're going to want to change even more. They may, they may, um, but that's okay. Like, look, what we've been through the last few years, we're good. <laughs> we're good. We will roll with the punches. We will roll with the punches. We're confident in our business strategy. The numbers don't lie. 
right? Um, the numbers are what they are, um, both in what we've done in changing the organization um, and in seeing the business momentum. Um, new owners know that and they want to preserve that momentum. And certainly if they've got great ideas, methodologies that they've done other places, we're going to incorporate those as swiftly and as effectively yeah. as we can, because it's going to be accretive to the business. And that's it. Like one of our values and family impact growth on our trust is impact. For us on the business side, that's the bottom line. Yeah. That's how are we making a profitable franchise that can invest in a championship winning team? And on Ron's side, it's wins and losses. Bottom line, impact is our focus on those two things. And so anything that new ownership and hopefully new ownership does bring that from a wealth of experiences across sports media and entertainment, they bring new ideas and methodologies. We're going to do that and we're going to do it well. And it's going to help us accelerate. And my last thing for you, Jason, and thank you very much for your time. You mentioned for everything we've been through the last few years, you're ready to roll with all this. But what has been the most challenging aspect of your mm. job over the last few years? Because this organization has been through so much. You're the president of it. You've overseen all of it. What has been the biggest challenge of the last three years? That's a longer question. My God. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's a long answer to that. I'll give the short answer. Good. Um, I think um, for me personally, uh, this is a very personal answer. I had to shed my naivete on how businesses work because um, coming from a very buttoned up business culture, working with Fortune 100 companies and the way that they're structured, the business processes that are behind them, the standards and norms for professionalism, professional sports is not always that way. <laughs> it's a bit more casual. It's a bit more sloppy. It, they tend to run at times like small family businesses and the personalities therein um, uh, can measure it. And so people are not always what they seem. They're not always presenting themselves accurately. People have alternative motives, ulterior motives at different times. And I'm a very straightforward dude. What you see is what you get, um, especially one-on-one. -on -one. You're going to hear my raw opinion. We're going to have debate and disagree, and we're going to keep it moving. And um, I think I've had to learn that in navigating this industry, and especially in leading on behalf of my team, I need to look around corners. I need to trust my gut when something don't smell right. And um, not not assume that everything is going to operate how it does in the rest of the business world. And then it's my job to get us closer and closer to that professional ideal. And I think we're well on our way. Jason, I appreciate you taking some time from L.A. during this crazy busy time. I wish you luck with the rest of this process. I know you'll do a great job. Keep up your great work. And thank you very much for your time today. Appreciate it, my friend. And so there is the president of the Washington Commanders, Jason Wright. Very thoughtful and a very challenging circumstance, and we thank him for his time. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash 
Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Now let's stick in the NFC East and we welcome Dak Prescott, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. He's partnered with Glow Beverages, who he says he was drawn to because of its unique offerings that fulfill a gap in customer needs regarding hydration. Dak was the Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2016. He's a two-time Pro Bowl selection, and he won the NFL's most prestigious award this past offseason when he was named the Walter Payton Man of the Year in February for the incredible work that he does in the community. Without further ado, Dak Prescott. Excited to be on here talking to you. And I'm excited to be talking to you. Appreciate you. <laughs> How's the offseason going? It's going well, really, really well. Uh, yeah, I got a good little throwing session in today. And uh, yeah, got to throw with B. Cook, so it's going well. How was that? It's exciting. Just I'll say that. It's, uh, it was very exciting to throw with him today. And the guy is different. That is real speed. Was that the first time you threw to him, Dak? Yeah, it's the first time I got to throw to him. Yeah, just when we signed him, been, been back home. So, yeah. You know, he was on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's unbelievable yeah, to me. Unbelievable to me that a guy that can be that talented, that liked, that respected everywhere he goes, gets traded four times before he's 30 years old. Yeah, seriously. It, uh, we're blessed to have him. Hey, it all works out for us. The only other player under 30 who's been traded four times like that, Eric Dickerson. Eric Dickerson, yeah. So that's not bad company to keep. Not at all. Not at can, all. If, if you can do that. So good for you. It's been an interesting offseason for you as well because Kellen Moore goes on to join the Chargers. Your draft classmate, Ezekiel Elliott, who's still a free agent, by the way, strangely enough, oddly enough, in 2016, Dallas releases him. Can you just discuss how unusual the offseason has been for you where guys that have been a part of your life here yeah. are no longer there? Yeah, it's, it it wasn't easy. Put it like that. Uh, as you said, starting off the first news, Kellen, um, not only Kellen Moore, but offensive coordinator Doug Nussmeyer, just two men that – I've grown with uh, me and Kellen I mean, since I've been drafted, created a relationship as teammates. And then for that as, as a player coach and uh, at the end of the day, a brother. So just uh, seeing him leave was tough, um, but happy for him, happy for his new opportunity. And then uh, Zeke, um, that one um, still doesn't feel right. Uh, going in the facility, starting off season program, um, been, been my locker buddy for years and just a guy that I'll go to war with and uh, do anything for in this world. And, uh, it's tough not not going to work with him now, but um, he's somebody I support. He won't he won't be a free agent for long, and I don't understand why he still is. But um, yeah, it's been tough. But 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 with change, change is good as well. So I've got to embrace that, embrace what we've got moving forward, and I'm excited for it. So what would you say to a team that was considering signing him about the type of player and person that they would be getting, Dak? Yeah, an amazing person, um, and, and the player you, you turn on the film and you see it, a tough guy, a guy that is epitome of uh, how to be a professional, of working hard, leading by example, um, and then just an awesome guy for the locker room. Uh, I think that's 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 the something that he brings that people don't understand, the leadership of, and the culture that he can bring to a team in a locker room um, is special, and uh, I envy who's going to get that next. Well, you know, I don't mean to be speaking out of turn here, but the running back market is not robust. And a few weeks back, he said that he was narrowing down his choices and wanted to make a decision within a week. The three teams were Philadelphia, Cincinnati and the New York Jets. I don't think the market is what people thought it would be or hoped right. it would be for running backs. Could there be, would there be any way that somehow there could be 
an acceptance almost and a way to bring them back to Dallas. Uh, I'll tell you, that should be nice. Uh, that should be nice. And I know myself and I can tell you there's a lot of people on not only the team, but in the organization that, that, that would uh, would love that. Um, I'm sure Zeke would as well. So um, it, we understand that this is a business. And as you said, the markets change and things go up and down. So it uh, doesn't always work out the way we see it. Um, but uh, hopefully, hopefully that could happen. Because when he's released, there's a lot of pride involved. You want to go out and test the market. Everybody has different ideas. And then you see what happens. And then maybe there's a way. I don't know. I made you be talking at a turn and imagining things. But who knows? Yeah, who knows? I'm gonna imagine. I'm gonna imagine it with you until until I see he's on another team. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard to think of Zeke as anything but a Dallas Cowboy. Exactly. Right. That that's the way it kind of goes. I want to talk to you about your Man of the Year speech, the Walter Payton Man of the Year. You won in February. Speech was incredible. I want to know the backstory of getting that speech ready and where you got the inspiration to say the message and words that you did, Deck. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I got that speech ready the day of. Um, it was, I don't wow. want to say it was a headache, but uh, working with the lady who runs my foundation, uh, messaging back and forth as I was doing an appearance here or there um, and trying to get ready for the, the red carpet at the same time. And they didn't tell me if I had won. So that was the biggest headache is going back and forth. And I'm like, man, do, do I even need this? Uh, and they never really told me, you know, as we got ready to go onto the red carpet, I get a phone call and they actually ask, could I shorten my speech? And uh, at that point, I go, well, I must have won. So, no, everything in the speech, I, I want to make sure I say. And it means a lot to me. And so does this this award. And so uh, and then everything that I said, that's that's a, that's heartfelt. Uh, that, that's who I am. I mean, um, from every adversity that I've had, I've went through it and, and have lost people. And um, but but have grown so much from that, become a better man. Um, and I just want other people to understand when you embrace, when you embrace your adversity, uh, when, when you trust the process and. And uh, you trust God that, that that things will work out. And we all have an obligation to love our neighbor. And um, it's a, it's an old Miles, Dr. Miles Monroe. He says, fruit doesn't grow on the fruit tree for the tree, but for the for the people that come and pick it. And that's how I like to think of us as individuals is um, everything that I have, I'm supposed to give to this world. And I just want everyone to do the same. How has winning that award and the message you delivered changed your life, if at all, in recent months? Yeah, I mean, um, it's been a blessing. The most prestigious award uh, in the NFL, um, just being acknowledged for not what I do on the field, but but off the field and uh, being able to, to to shine light on my foundation, what all the great work my foundation is doing. Um, it means a lot. It's going to allow me to make some other connections and be able to, to get in front of more people and change more people's more people's lives and, and just lend my hand out more. And as I said, being the most prestigious award, being able to put my names with past winners it's something that uh, I don't take lightly um, and is a blessing. Did it help raise awareness and funds for your foundation? Yeah, most definitely. Um, the, 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 as far as the awareness has went up uh, huge, as far as uh, suicide prevention and mental health, uh, the outreach that we've gotten back and people wanting to collab and partner. Um, so many of those opportunities have come up and uh, we have a gala that's happening here um, next month. And uh, that, that's where we'll raise some more funds. And I'm sure uh, me winning that award will have a lot to do uh, with that being a special night. The gala next month, can people attend? You want any information you want to provide about it? Like people can make yeah. donations, charities, buy tickets. What do we got? Yeah, we'll have to get all that for the public to be able to, to, to buy tickets. And maybe I can get something and send it out to you uh, and get it done that way. But uh, yes, there is a way to purchase tickets um, through the foundation. Um, and I'll make sure, yeah, I'll make sure I get, get that to me. And the least I could do is do my part to 
help raise awareness for that. And I appreciate you. Appreciate you, my man. Done. We got it. We got we got a deal there. Thank you. Thank you. I got a few global issues before I let you go. Please. The Washington Commanders. We just had Jason Wright, the president, on. That team gets sold. What has it been like to play in a city that once felt about their football team the way Dallas does about the Cowboys, but has been something of a football wasteland during your NFL career and during the last two decades or so? What is the experience like to play in Washington compared to other places? Yeah, uh, honestly, my experience to play in Washington, uh, that's where I got my first win. So a um, little, little bias there. I like to go back there. Um, but honestly, every time the Dallas Cowboys go in, in my years, and, and I'm sure it's been in the past, uh, it's probably 65, maybe 70% Cowboy fans. So it's another home game on the road. So, hey, I'm a fan of it. Uh, we can keep it that way. <laughs> like home games on the road. Exactly. Jalen Hurts gets a new contract. Awesome for you. Huge money. $255 million. What were your thoughts on Jalen getting paid? Yeah, congratulations. Uh, proud of him. Uh, I hosted Jalen on a visit way back in Mississippi State years ago. And uh, a fan of uh, the guy, that uh, the way he plays the game. Not a fan of his team and and when they have success necessarily, but uh, a fan of him and the way that he approaches it. Um, and just somebody that was counted out early because of his play style and just has had success and uh, trusted himself, trusted in the process, and I'm um, proud of him, and he deserves every bit of it. Dak, you hosted him on a visit at Mississippi State. What was that like? Yeah, I did. So his now quarterback coach, uh, his now offensive coordinator, excuse me, Brian Johnson, was my quarterback coach in college. And so wow, uh, the connection of those three hosted him. Uh, I think he might have been committed at the time of Bama, uh, to Bama already. So I uh, just was hanging out with him. I knew where he was going. And as a quarterback in your position, do you pay any attention to what's going on with a guy like Lamar Jackson during the offseason? Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, I, I, I try not to listen to a lot of the news, uh, but but stuff like that you hear, friends tell me things. Um, I, I support everybody, and I support those guys getting their money and and doing that. Honestly, I hosted Lamar on a visit in Mississippi State as well. So <laughs> What? Uh, yeah, hopefully he's next, and he, he tops Jalen, and that's just the way it goes, and um, yeah, it'll happen for him. What do you remember about hosting Lamar? Yeah, um, Lamar, Lamar was cool. He, he was quiet at the time. Uh, but but he, he was cool. It was a great visit. Went and hung out. Uh, normal college visit, you know. Wait, but hold on. <laughs> Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, anybody else you hosted that's notable that we should know? Like, that's kind of crazy. I never heard that before. Yeah, I mean, the Mississippi State, when I was there, we were good now. So, I mean, hey, I mean, some, some big-time guys. Jalen Ramsey, he was a guy I hosted. Uh, yeah, probably probably those three. Well, I guess that's why they're a bulldog after you, right? That is that when you host – Visits like that, you get bulldogs named after you. That, I guess that's exactly right. Something else that was that was so cool and such an honor. You know, Dak, I got five dogs in my house. If you continue to come on the podcast like this, we'll name the next dog after you. It'll be it'll be like Dak if you want. I like it. I'll be back on then. Wait, whatever you want, we got it named. And the last thing is the NFL draft is next week. Yep. Two things. Number one, what do you remember about your draft experience when the Dallas Cowboys picked you? Number one. Yeah, number one, just uh, bittersweet. Honestly, I was mad. Um, I, I was. I, there was a lot of anger in me built up uh, at that time. Finally, fourth round, hundred thirty fifth pick, uh, come Saturday. So um, it was a lot of anger, but at the same time, I, I knew that the wait was over. I was going to my favorite team, a team that I grew up uh, childhood fan of, and more importantly, I was getting an opportunity. Um, something I always dreamed of playing in the NFL, and so it was. A, it was a bittersweet moment that that I'll never forget. And you're. 
owner Jerry Jones, a very big fan of the running back position. Have you had a chance to watch B. John Robinson, who's played at Texas and has been heavily mocked to the Dallas Cowboys right or wrong in a lot of the mock drafts that are out there these days? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, uh, second to Mississippi State, uh, I'm a Texas fan. So uh, I've seen a lot of his game when they've been on Saturdays and able to watch him and just a super talented guy. Uh, not only is he great running the ball and has the speed, but has the hands and, and the route running ability. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's once again, that's all mock drafts. I don't pay attention to all that stuff, but I do know he's a hell of a player. Hey, Dak, you're a hell of a player, too. You're a hell of a guy. I, I appreciate you taking the time that you did. I kept it on point, right? We said 10 minutes. I think yes, I kept sir. it to the time frame here. So we'll get you out of here in time to go back to throwing with Brandon Cooks and give me that information, and we'll put that out there. Will do. I will do. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. Dak, send my regards to your brother, too. Will do. Will do. And there is the Cowboys Pro Bowl quarterback, Dak Prescott. And now we are getting closer to the draft. Now it feels real. And last week, when we had on our draft experts, Matt Miller, and Jordan Reed, we talked about the fact that the Houston Texans very well may bypass a quarterback at number two in favor of a defensive player, which would buck conventional wisdom and all the draft conversation that has been going on for weeks where everybody just expected and assumed that a quarterback would go one and two and maybe even three and four. We know that there's going to be a quarterback who goes number one. But now there are some serious doubts as to the fact that a quarterback will go number two. And it reminded me of back in 2006, which, by the way, would have been one of the very first years that I covered the NFL draft for NFL Network. And each night we would have a show called Total Access. And each night in the second or third segment of the show, I would do a segment that we called Around the League, where I would essentially give the producers three or four items to trot out and they'd have me on with Rich Eisen and Rich would say, what's going on in New York with Aaron Rodgers? And I would answer, what's going on in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson? And I would answer. And I would tell them every night the three or four topics that we should do on total access. So one night in mid-April 2006, I told them I've got an item that I believe is bigger than our Around the League segment that I believe should open the show. And that is the fact that it now looks like Reggie Bush, who everybody expected to be the number one overall pick for weeks, if not months. It was done. He was going to Houston. He was one of the greatest college football players ever. There was no way that the Houston Texans could bypass him at one. But I had an item that the Houston Texans very well might do that, and that they were thinking strongly about taking defensive end Mario Williams. And I remember coming on Total Access, and I convinced the producers to put it into the opening segment of the show two weeks before the NFL draft, and Rich Eisen was in disbelief. Couldn't believe that this could actually be true. Doubted the veracity of my reporting, doubted that this could ever happen, wondered why anybody could ever pass on Reggie Bush, and the conversation around the Texans pick changed that day and changed for two weeks. And lo and behold, when the draft rolled around, the number one pick was not Reggie Bush, and it was Mario Williams. And last week, I saw Rich on the Rich Eisen Show talking about the fact that we had mentioned that we didn't think the Texans were going to go quarterback at number two. And once again, 
Rich Eisen was dumbfounded about what the Texans would do, shattering all the notions and all the expectations that had been in place for weeks. And he recalled the incident from 2006, but he recalled it as if I came in that morning, the day of the draft, and said to everybody, Mario Williams is going to be the number one pick that day. But it wasn't that day. So I'm correcting my friend Rich Eisen once more. It was about two weeks in advance. I believe it was a Friday night. It was about two weeks out of the draft. A Friday night, we reported that Mario Williams was in strong consideration to become the number one overall pick that eventually he became. And those are the kinds of stories that make the draft so intriguing. And we will see what the Houston Texans do a week from Thursday night when they make the number two selection. Maybe they will pick a quarterback. I don't suspect they will right now, but maybe their mind's not made up. Maybe there'll be a change of heart at the last moment. I just think that they have some reservations and doubts about picking a quarterback at number two and that we very well might see the top defensive player come off the board if they are unable to trade the pick. And by the way, the fact that they're willing to trade the pick tells you that they're not that in love with a quarterback because if they were so in love with a quarterback, They'd go ahead and make the pick at two. And here was Nick Casario this week saying, I'm open to listening to anybody. So there is your evidence right there that they're not sold on a quarterback. The Houston Texans always make for some great storylines around the draft. No different this year. We'll see how it all unfolds. All right. We want to thank the president of the Washington Commanders, Jason Wright, for the time that he gave us today. We want to thank the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, for his time today. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, for putting together this podcast, and you, the listener, for tuning in to this week's Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we will be joined by the Carolina Panthers general manager, Scott Fitterer, the man that holds the number one overall pick as he gets ready to make that selection on the opening night of the NFL draft. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.